the trial of the century. Now, are you scratching your heads, Nora Salomon? Uh, trial of the century? I know what you're thinking, what? Well, you're gonna hear more about this and, and learn why it should be. Welcome to the Terrace Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist. You know what, did you, I'm oh, sorry. That's okay, no worries. One, go. Nora Solomon, the trial of the century. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist, and you are a terrorist therapist. I'm here to help you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Now, are you scratching your head, Nora Salomon, the trial of the century? What? Yeah, well, it certainly should be, or it certainly should be one of them. You know, Nora Salomon, the wife of Omar Mateen, or I guess I should say the widow at this point, the man who shot up the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida. You remember that. It was in uh, June, June 12th. 2016, and now the wife is on trial in Orlando. But you know, <laughs> it would be hard uh, to be aware of this, no less think of it as the trial of the century, if you were looking at the mainstream media. This is so varied, as is so much that has to do with terrorism, as if uh, we are supposed to not remember <laughs> that we are living in a time of terror, that there are terrorist threats going on all the time, and that this is something that we need to be doing something about, and not just in terms of uh, you know, the government and the war on terror, but also that we personally need to be making ourselves and our families more resilient. So Nora Salomon, let's get back to her. You know, we just had on television uh, the O.J. Confession. You, you probably watched that. That was the trial of last century. Um, and I have been an analyst of the O.J. trial, actually, since it was going on gavel to gavel. I was on different television stations analyzing it. Um, and, you know, that was a case of, um, of abuse, domestic violence, and of course, you know, that is a key factor for the defense in the trial of Nor Salomon. That is what they are trying to, how they are trying to get her off um, by saying that she is a battered woman, which I believe that she was, a manipulated woman, and that she didn't know anything or whatever she knew, she was too scared to say, right? So that's, that's the, the gist of her defense. So it's, it's kind of interesting that uh, two different sets of circumstances, but two abusers who are creating, um, well, who created, who murdered, <laughs> and um, for different reasons. For OJ, of course, it was because of his jealousy, his jealous rage, and Omar Mateen, it was because he was acting on behalf of ISIS. So, um, Nora Salomon. Now, you know, it's, it's interesting also that when that happened in 2016, when um, Omar Mateen shot up the Pulse nightclub, uh, even though it was actually at the time, it was the most deadly mass shooting in America. That was before Las Vegas, um, 
but so at that time there were uh, he killed 49 people Omar Ratin did uh, killed 49 people and wounded 58 others and what's interesting is that after that horrendous incident there really weren't calls for uh, gun control like there have been now in regard to the Parkland school shooting. I mean, you know, to some degree, uh, there, were, there were mentions of it, but not to the same, no walkouts. <laughs> See, I mean, you know, that just boggles my mind. I mean, yes, there should be no school shootings and we should do whatever we can to prevent any future school shootings. There have been way too many um, as it is. But why aren't we having walkouts um, from schools or from work or from, you know, various places in regard to um, feeling that the government should be doing more to protect us from terrorists. You know, Omar Ratin is a great example because he had been on the FBI watch list um, already and, and yet uh, they stopped watching him and he was able to create this mass shooting. Now, um, also similarly, in the Las Vegas shooting, the one that then became the bigger mass shooting, Stephen Paddock, uh, he used automatic rifles also, and there really wasn't, there was a cry about um, how these rifles shouldn't be allowed to have, uh, be fixed in a, in a way to become more automatic, to shoot more people. But again, there wasn't the same kind of cry as there has been with the walkout from schools. Now, you know, again, I am all for there being more screening, better screening, for there being uh, longer waiting periods and so on, but I am more, I'm not for banning guns, and I am more for um, more mental health treatment earlier on, more recognition of children in elementary school and, and middle school who are having problems which are clearly evident even then. Um, because the problems are, are coming from their childhood or problems with their parents, they're being abused, they're being neglected. These things are really visible early on. And if children were put into a program or into individual therapy uh, to get the attention that they needed, then fewer people would grow up to be like Nicholas Cruz, who was an accident waiting to happen, crying literally, to um, have people stop him, and they didn't. And, you know, there have been all of these people to blame. And uh, he was allowed to, to continue. And, you know, it was no surprise, actually, not even a surprise to the students who knew him, that he was the one who was going to go off and commit this shooting. Now, Although I, I do um, share some of the same things, you know, as far as what should the better controls, I mean, better, I won't use the word controls, better screening and so on in regard to guns, um, I think the more important thing is, as I said, mental health treatment and um, looking at violent media, perhaps if not banning, then educating students early on about the harmful effects of watching hours and hours and hours of violent media. And yesterday, so there was no walkout with these other two, um, pre the previous mass shootings where more people were killed and injured, Omar Mateen and Las Vegas, and yet no walkout. 
And I, I couldn't help but thinking yesterday um, with the school walkout that uh, the, the kids were being manipulated by, because of their suffering from grief and PTSD, they were being manipulated by groups who are against guns, the gun control group, and then, of course, the Women's March, who are really the ones behind this walkout. I mean, the kids in Parkland could not organize uh, all over the United States kids to walk out of schools. So it was primarily organized by the Women's March. You know, the pussy hats. So I, I couldn't help thinking if these kids, uh, especially high school boys, knew that they were walking out because they were being pussy hat whipped, they would not um, be so happy with the situation. But indeed, that was really what was happening. And then, of course, also the anti-Trump lobby, <laughs> uh, you know, those in America who are anti-Trump. And that's really what it was. That was anti-Trump, gun control, and the pussy hats. <laughs> were the ones behind this march. And um, that's the part that I really um, was, am against. That uh, these poor kids who are suffering psychologically were able to be manipulated. Getting back to um, Nora Solomon, however, um, and the fact that this isn't being uh, talked about as much as it should be, we're gonna be talking about it here today um, reminding you about who Omar Mateen is, was, he was killed after the, uh, during the shooting by the police, and then telling you where we have gotten so far in the trial of Nora Solomon. They have picked a jury, and they have done, um, they have started the actual trial. So we're going to be talking about that when we come back. So stay tuned. You're listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio, and I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Welcome back to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Today we're talking about the trial of the century, uh, Nora Solomon, the widow of Omar Mateen, and um, the, since the Pulse nightclub shooting happened in June 2016, let me uh, refresh your memory a little bit about the details of Omar Mateen. Now, I'm going to be following, uh, I, I already did a podcast on the trial, the beginnings of the trial, picking the jury and so on. Um, I'm going to be following the trial on these uh, podcasts. So, um, so you can follow along and... Uh, and again, this is just as important, or quite frankly, a lot more important than the trial of last century of OJ. So Omar Mateen. Omar Mateen was um, born in New Hyde Park, New York. He was 29 years old when he was killed by eight gunshots by police. He, um, as I said, killed 49 people, wounded 58 others at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida. And before the shooting, he had been investigated by the FBI in 2013 and 2014. So here they stopped watching him, and then in 2016, he commits this mass shooting. Um, he was in the terrorist screening database, but then he was removed before, before he committed the, the mass shooting. 
So um, in the 911 call, which is going to, the 911 call is going to be coming up later in the trial. In the meantime, the, nine, the videos um, from the shooting at the nightclub have been played in the trial. Um, and they were very, of course, devastating. And one in uh, a video, there's one where it shows Omar Mateen's dead body and his wife wouldn't look at it. Um, you know, uh, one way of, of being in denial, right? Um, okay, so, so he was looking at his life. He, you know, the, you know, just like, see, this is, this is really fascinating. Just like Nicholas Cruz, the shooter uh, in Parkland, he was he was 19 and, and Omar was 29, but uh, so Omar had more time to uh, get into trouble. But um, but they both had from the very beginning of their life uh, problems. You know, they both would have been should have been uh, funneled into a mental health program. You know, like I'm saying, is the is the best solution to school shootings and other and terrorist shootings for that matter for those who are here as children and want to be or you know future terrorists who are in school here um, the Boston Marathon uh, bombers for example were in school here to some degree not from you know not not at, not starting in kindergarten but uh, they would have been should have been picked out to be in a mental health program so it's not just school shooters that can be prevented uh, by identifying people with mental health problems early on. So Omar Mateen, um, ironically, he was born uh, 1986 in Long Island Jewish Medical Center. I say ironically because, um, of course, <laughs> Jews are, um, and Israel is uh, a target of terrorists. Uh, he was born to Afghan parents who had come over here. They emigrated from Afghan in the 1980s. His father became a naturalized U.S. citizen in 1989, so three years after Omar was born. Um, and he, uh, he, his parents, his family first lived in New York, uh, and then he, they moved to Florida. <laughs> You know, uh, another another uh, similarity to the uh, Parkland shooter. I don't know. Maybe there's something in the drinking water in Florida. Anyhow, um, this his family, Omar Mateen's family, had four children. Uh, he had two sisters, and after they they moved to Florida, and they were um, they were described, <laughs> they were thought of, or the family wanted to be thought of as moderate Muslims in an all-American family. Now, when he was in school, he, right away, at a very, in elementary school, he was already uh, seen to have a preoccupation with violence. Now, clearly, what does that mean when a child, any child, um, has a preoccupation with violence in elementary school? What it means is that there is violence in the home. It's like, duh. Um, probably from his father, probably being physically abused by his father. Uh, 
his father certainly had a, a lot of disrespect for women and clearly modeled uh, abuse towards women for Mati Omar. So um, in his elementary school and middle school, he went to classes in Florida. Uh, when he was in third grade in Mariposa Elementary School, his teacher wrote that he was very active, constantly moving, verbally abusive, verbally abusive in third grade, uh, rude, aggressive, much talk about violence and sex, hands all over the place on other children in his mouth. Now again, certainly that suggests uh, that he was sexually abused as well. Then in the seventh grade, he was moved to a separate class to avoid conflicts with other students. And he had bad, uh, he, he didn't do well in, in his academics uh, because of his many instances of behavioral problems. He was, now it's interesting, some classmates described him as a bully, especially disrespectful to girls and he acted like he was better than his classmates, which was modeling his father. Um, and another classmate said that he was, bullied, that he was built, bullied at school because of his weight and his Afghan heritage. So they both certainly can be true. You know, it is, um, it, it, I mean, you know, his, I mean, that's part of the problem with terrorists, that whenever they come to America, well, especially if they're in school age, like in college or whenever, um, if they are bullied, they, uh, that makes them more angry um, at Americans. Then um, his, um, when he was in eighth grade, his teacher sent a letter to his father regarding a, quote, attitude and inability to show self-control. Then in high school, he, at Martin County High School, he was expelled uh, in four, when he was 14 after being in a fight in math class. He was then briefly arrested. Uh, he was charged with battery and disrupting school, but then these charges were later dropped. Then he went to uh, Spectrum, an alternative high school for, with, for students with behavioral issues. And, you know, that happened with... Um, with Nicholas Cruz as well, that he went to some programs uh, for students with behavioral problems, but that is not the same thing as being in psychotherapy. It's an improvement than being in just the regular class, but it's not the same thing. Uh, because you need to get to why, what is at the bottom of this violence, um, which is typically uh, being abused at home, physically abused and sometimes sexually abused. So, he was, when 9-11 happened, Omar Mateen cheered in favor of the hijackers. And um, he said that, Omar, that Osama bin Laden was his uncle who taught him how to shoot AK-47s. And um, then he was suspended for that. And then soon after the 9-11 attacks, he um, shocked, quote, shocked other students on his school bus by imitating an exploding plane. So here was a kid who has violence at home, is already from elementary school showing violent tendencies, then September being bullied for having an Afghan heritage, then 9-11 uh, happens, and he's given more direction for his bullying and more uh, hate, more direction for his hate towards Americans. So um, he never really, you know, he was suspended again um, and so on. And we will go more into his background. 
um, and get more into uh, Nora's trial when we come back. So stay tuned. You're listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Now, I did promise you that this was going to be about Nora Solomon and, his tr- and her trial, uh, but I got caught up in Omar Mateen because as I was telling you about it, I started realizing how, what similarities there are between him and, um, and Nicholas Cruz, the Parkland shooter. But let's go to the trial here. Um, First of all, just to, uh, to uh, summarize what the trial is all about, uh, she, has, she is charged with providing material support to a foreign terrorist organization, that's her first charge, and then her second charge is obstruction of justice. And for these charges, she could face up to life in prison if convicted, and she has pleaded not guilty. Now, um, we've had the uh, picking of the jury, and there are 12 women and six men, um, you know, amongst the pool of the jurors and alternates. And I, if I were the pro- a prosecutor, or if I were, you know, I'm a forensic psychiatrist, and a trial consultant, if the prosecutors would have asked me, which they should have, um, I would have said that it's a bad idea to have 12 women and six men. 12 women, because it is much more likely that, the, that women are gonna be sympathetic to Nora Salomon. She's a widow, she has a child. The child is a little boy who's five years old now. He was three years old when the uh, Pulse nightclub shooting happened. And especially if these women have children themselves, which likely they do, um, they are going to, that is going to consciously or unconsciously affect them. And they're gonna think, oh, this poor child, you know, he shouldn't be deprived of his mother. because just because the husband did this i mean yes you know uh i believe me i feel sorry for that child i feel sorry that the child was born to this couple who are terrorists uh the child is now with his maternal grandmother in california and i think he is much better off um he apparently has especially now that he's five he knows what his father did i mean can you imagine that it's so sad can you imagine you're five years old uh or perhaps he found out about it even when he was four or three you know surely he probably even when he was three saw inadvertently saw television news reports and so on so but but not that he was able to necessarily understand and it fully at three or even at five but but can you imagine i mean he does understand apparently that his father killed a lot of people i mean that is hard enough to deal with when you're you know a teenager or an adult but a five-year-old child your father you know you want to okay his father was with him and i think well as good a father as he could have been but there are pictures you know where he's holding him and I mean, of course, it begs the question, how good a father could he be if he, on, on behalf of ISIS, if he shoots up a nightclub, you know, cre- creates a mass shooting because he thinks it's more important to be a soldier of ISIS than to be a good father. 
So, but during those first three years, it does seem as though he did spend some time with his son and, and you know, I'm sure his son loved his father. So to find out that this man who you loved, who you lived with for the first three years of your life is this horrible person who killed all these people. And now to know that your mother is on trial for her part in it. I mean, that is just, it's, it's hard for any five-year-old child to get their head around. And it's tragic that any child has to. I mean, I'm not saying that they shouldn't have told him about it and so on, but it's already a disaster. It's already a tragedy. So, uh, yes, it would be, you know, all children need their mommy and daddy. But she, you know, in case it's not clear, my, I think that she does deserve to get life without parole, because in my mind, there was no question, and I've been researching this um, for a long time. Uh, there are previous podcasts on this, actually. Um, I believe that, that indeed, uh, she did know, and she did aid and abet him, and uh, she didn't once he left, once Omar Mateen left that night, and she did know that he was going to shoot up this nightclub. She didn't call the police. She didn't call the nightclub. Um, she went with him to, uh, to get the um, ammunition. She went with him, and the part that kills me the most is how she went with him to, um, they took out a lot of money from the bank soon before he did the shooting, and uh, he gave her a ring, he gave her jewelry, expensive jewelry you know that was supposed to be her her uh i don't know her present for for what not telling i guess um so anyhow this they they have moved from picking the jury to now uh the first part well to opening statements from both sides the prosecutors and the defense and um the prosecutors have to prove first of all that omar mateen was a terrorist because she's, you know, that's sort of the point, that she is um, being charged with providing material support to a foreign terrorist organization. So uh, there has to, you know, his, his motive has to be terrorism. And so to prove that, the judge allowed them to show uh, the footage. It's <clears throat> eerily silent black and white security footage of Omar Mateen pacing through gaps in a sea of bodies on the club's dance floor, firing slugs indiscriminately into anything that moved. Now, that has got to be um, very emotional, very powerful in terms of affecting the jury. Uh, it has been described by some police who were there. They described what was the most eerie to them, of course, besides the blood and the bodies dying or dead on the floor, were the number of cell phones that were scattered about the floor <coughs> ringing because, um, you know, this took, this took several hours, um, the, the, this shooting was from uh, 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. So three hours, the whole, the whole incident took. And um, so people, loved ones, friends and family of the people who were inside the nightclub, eventually, you know, before it was over, many of them saw it on television, heard about it on the radio. So they were calling their loved ones. And um, the police said that hearing those those nonstop 
cell phone rings going on amidst these dead and dying bodies was just, just terrific. So that will certainly um, have a very emotional impact on the jurors. And it was really important that the judge let that come in uh, in order to, you know, have this impact. Obviously, the defense tried to fight against it. But what is going to be coming up um, after this is going to be some of the things that, uh, well, first of all, there's already also, what already has begun is um, some testimony from some of the victims, some of the people who survived this attack, uh, talking about what it was like. And, um, you know, in, in equally horrific uh, descriptions, uh, you know, equally horrific, I mean, horrific in a different way. On the one hand, seeing the video, seeing it just has a tremendous impact, but also seeing the people on the stand breaking down as some of them were crying as they're recounting this experience, that too is very powerful. And now what's going to be coming up soon, and I'm going to be um, telling you about this uh, as it comes up, is the testimony or, or testimony in a sense, I don't know if they're going to be reading the whole thing to you, but I'm going to be telling you about a lot of it. The call, the 911 calls that Omar Mateen had with, um, with the 911 operator talking about his allegiance to ISIS and so on. And of course, you know, that's going to be super important for the prosecutors in order to prove that this was, as Omar Mateen says, I'm giving you a, a spoiler alert here, that it was for ISIS. Well, um, we're going to end this now, uh, and certainly um, I'm going to be following it for you gavel to gavel. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. Thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. <laughs>